here we are back again, uh, and we Indeed. should we, we should uh, a couple of things right up top. First off, uh, there will be no show next week. We are taking a uh, a one week hiatus so that Tim can make a movie. Yeah, Tim's going to be shooting uh, an independent film. And the only uh, kind of films that uh, people like us can shoot. <laughs> so, uh, so that's going to be. Uh, we'll we'll talk more about that in the yeah. future as that comes around. But it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And so, uh, no show next week, but we will be back week after that, uh, right early in August, and uh, and uh, hopefully have a little bit to talk about. Also, uh, you know, we um, we had a, had a comment on the Facebook page uh, about why we didn't spend more time on the controversy surrounding Isle of Dogs, mm. and uh, it's something we can we can probably revisit for for a minute uh, because obviously I'm not Asian and you're not Asian, yeah. so I don't think we felt overly qualified to kind of dive into that. But that did come up during our uh, our uh, last Lafka meeting a little bit. Um, yeah, in a roundabout sort of way. In a roundabout kind of way. One of our one of our new members, uh, Angie Han, who was also covered in a great Los Angeles piece that you, uh, Los Angeles Times piece that Tim was in. By the way, if you didn't see, you need to go online. We posted it to the the Facebook pages, but you need to go online. There's a fantastic piece on uh, diversity and criticism, and uh, Tim is. Tim is featured prominently along with uh, some of our other colleagues. Well, Justin I'll, I'll even have to admit that I am. I'll, I'll say yeah. that I am. I'll be. I it will was, not be uh, humble. I it was will not great. Be humble. But anyway, uh, important an, subject. Of important course. subject. So, and, and, and tangential to the thing, uh, you yeah. Know, it, it, it's all kind of, you know, the I, you thing know, with Scarlett Johansson and that transsexual thing, and she dropped out of that movie. All of these things. And she are, had previously had trouble with, uh, uh, with, yeah, with the yeah, anime yeah, adaptation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ghost in the Machine. The the so here's here's the thing. It's I I've read both what Angie Han had written about uh, Isle of Dogs, which is not very favorable. Our colleague Jen Yamato really really despises the movie. Uh, Justin Chang, a little bit more forgiving of it. Uh, so here's the thing. Justin, Justin like Mamma Mia too, though. Right? <laughs> anyway, I tease, I tease, I tease, I tease. But the, so here's the thing. I understand at a distance all of the reservations that people have about Isle of Dogs, which is, you know, Wes Anderson is, um, He's uh, he's sort of using an Asian aesthetic as wallpaper in mm-hmm. a way, which I know for a lot of people feels disrespectful and dismissive, and even the way that some of the accents are used and some of the some of the way the animations is, is that it's almost it it almost feels like uh, it almost feels like yellow face stereotyping in some some respect the way that things were. Back in the the Mickey Rooney and uh, mm. it, it, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, no. and and can't get, it, there, can't get there from here. It didn't strike me as that way. No, no. first of all, if we begin uh, with 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 uh, the fairly um, uh, grade school notion that imitation is the, the best form of flattery, yeah. I, I I really do begin there, right? Yeah. Uh, when I find someone imitating something, I I know that the thing that they're imitating is uh, um, uh, interesting and yeah. probably better. Yeah. So, so I, that's my cue right there. This is a thing. This is a uh, an aesthetic. This is an idea. Uh, Gilbert and Sullivan. I mean, I mean, seriously. Yeah. I mean, come on. This is great. This is wonderful. What did yeah. they do? They didn't look at all that Japanese culture and say, "You know, poo." That's, that's no. They were <laughs> like, "Oh my God, this is astounding. This is yeah. amazing. How can I bring this and create it and do?" And 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 and, and then the other thing that I, I that I intention is everything. Yeah. Wes Anderson. What is Wes Anderson's intention? 
Does True. Wes Anderson have some nefarious intentions? Yeah, no. I, I, I just don't whatsoever. think he does. None whatsoever. So I just can't get to a problem from here. See, see, and that gets to something interesting too. I mean, I'm glad you you raised Gilbert and Sullivan because the Mikado yeah. is is very much the same kind of a thing. So is Madame Butterfly, yes. Puccini, yeah. right? And if you look at Shakespeare, when Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet, well, that takes place in Italy. If you look at the fact that a lot of Shakespeare has been adapted for Peking Opera, there are all of these kind of cross currents between cultures. And I think you're right, intention does, does matter. The, the one thing that also struck me was this, is consistency. Mm -hmm. You know, when people, for example, they'll jump on The Simpsons because of the character of Apu. That's become a thing lately. It's like, yeah. you're, you're making fun of, uh, you know, Southeast, South Indians and Apu is a stereotype. Well, but people, if you look at but I don't, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, every I'm single character on The Simpsons, is a stereotype, mm -hmm. is mockery. Mm -hmm. Homer Simpson is the is is kind of like every negative attribute of every fat suburban white dad mm -hmm. rolled into one and magnified. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it's it is the point of the, it's the point of the show. Uh, uh, and, 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 and and I could point out too about some of these sort of um, ethnic stereotypes that have to do with the way. Um, either characters are played or voiced in voiceover sort of yeah. like situations using these sort of accents and ways of speaking, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, go back to uh, uh, that little movie um, 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 where he was shrinking people down. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, it was uh, last year, but you know the one I'm talking about. The, the Alexander Payne. Yes, Downsizing. Alexander Payne. There was, some, there was a, a Vietnamese character in there. Right. He spoke in a certain right. way. And I was kind of, all of this guy see this right now. Here's the problem that I'm having with that. Um, I know personally people who speak in the ways that these people speak. Yeah. They are friends of mine. Yeah. They sound, I know a guy who sounds just like Hapu. I've known him yeah. for 25 years, works at the 7-Eleven. You know, yeah, yeah. you know, you yeah. home, yeah. hang out with uh, Flavor Flav yeah, right. back in the day. Me, sure. him, and Flavor Flav used yeah. to hang out over there <laughs> at the 7-Eleven where he worked, speaking like Hapu every day of the yeah. week, right? Now, yeah. I love him. That's my homie. And if, I, if you're just telling me, what you're, what you're telling me is the way, that there's something wrong with the way my boy speaks. Yeah. That's what you're telling me. It's, and I'm sorry, I reject that whole and complete. There is nothing wrong with the way he speaks. I like the way he speaks. I understand every word he says. I got homies in the hood who talk the way homies in the hood talk. And when I hear people say, well, he talks like he's from the hood. So, <laughs> what's wrong with that? I, and and, and I, sometimes I talk like I'm from the hood, as people who listen to the show probably know. I know. And your your mother spoke with a German accent. Yep, sure did. I love the way your mother spoke. <laughs> and I don't want it, I don't want nothing nothing to change about the way your mother yeah. spoke. All of the Yiddish people, all of the Jewish people that I grew up who spoke with these Yiddish accents, all the time, I, I, I love the way they spoke. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Whenever we do this, what we're saying is there's something wrong with the way these people speak. And I understand that it is possible to mock the way a person speaks. But the, the way a person speaks in and of itself, no, I'm not yeah. going to reject that. that. I'm not going to do it. It's wrong, and I ain't going to do it. Uh, that, that's, that's the exclamation point I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, that, uh, I, I agree completely. I mean, I, uh, I, I think the, the, other, the only other thing that I would say in this is, is that if, if there really were something genuinely offensive about, like transcendently offensive about the, the things that Wes Anderson was doing in mm -hmm. that, then I think those of us who are not Asian, and I understand if you are Asian that, you, that that could feel very sensitive, but I think the other measure is if I'm not Asian and I go to that and I come away feeling some sense of respect and reverence mm -hmm. for the culture, I think in that sense it has succeeded. Nothing about that film. I didn't walk into that and think, it's like when people say about All in the Family, like, oh my gosh, All in the Family, it was such a racist show. No, because if you watched All in the Family back in the day, <laughs> 
you walked away from that show pitying, more often than not, Archie mm-hmm. Bunker and respecting George Jefferson. Mm-hmm. But there's a very, very famous episode with Archie and, 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 and George Jefferson. It might even be the first one where they actually meet, which is the one where uh, it's, it's a party. And the Jeffersons are throwing a party. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking oh, about? Yes. And Archie and Edith are the only white people at that party until another guy shows up. And Archie says, oh, who are you? And it turns out that is Jenny's dad. Yeah. And he realizes George has not yet met Jenny's dad. <laughs> and it's a brilliant piece of television because you walk away from that. Everything is flipped on its head. Yes. And you walk away from that episode transformed in the ways that you see a race in America. Oh, it's it's, it's and, extraordinary. And, and what's funny is that the people who made judgments about that show and then the yeah. Jeffersons that came after it, yeah. who didn't grow up watching those shows and thus living in the times yeah. when those TV shows were made, it's almost an experience that you had to have in real time. Yeah. You can't look at uh, any of those programs um, uh, from the distance of t- 45 years yeah. now uh, and make a judgment about them. You can't. You had no. to be 13 or 14 or 12 or yep. 10 or 20 or something in 1974, yeah. walking around this planet in 1974. Yep. And everything you see in that, or in black exploitation films or in so many yeah. other kinds of movies um, uh, makes so much more sense. It does. And, and we can't do that. This is, this is all you one needs to do with respect to the Wes Anderson uh, film in particular. Um, you might say the same thing about uh, uh, Moonrise uh, Kingdom. I think yeah. that's one of the ones you could say. Sure. Here's, the, here's the question. Uh, does Wes Anderson love uh, Japanese culture? I, I, I don't know Wes Anderson, but I can tell you this. He does. Yeah. He loves Japanese culture. I yeah. know he does. Does he Wes a- Anderson love e- Indian, Eastern Indian culture? Sure yeah. he does. He, I can tell. How do, I, how do I, I look at his movies, and I can see his love for those cultures. The attention to movies. detail. So, so yeah. how can anyone who, who sees these movies not see that? And then once you see that, what is the problem? Yeah. Ah, there right. we go. I'm done. All right. Well, I'm going to hit a few things just off top. We got yes, three really, really terrific uh, Blu-rays from Darjeeling Maxos. Limited. That's what it was. Sorry. Darjeeling Limited. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, we got three terrific Blu-rays from uh, Naxos, classical music stuff. Really, really great stuff. I got to really, really highly, highly recommend Verdi's Nabucco. Mm. Uh, I uh, I had never. This is a, this is a, you know. Look, Verdi wrote a lot of operas, and there are like two or three of them that ever get significantly uh, performed and staged in America. Uh, Nabucco is one I'd never even heard of, and this is staged at the Verona Arena, the Arena di Verona, uh, in classical Italian fashion. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous place to stage things. This is amazing ancient arena, and uh, what an absolutely tremendous performance this is. It is absolutely beautiful, just uh, first rate. Don't know any of the people who are who are in the cast. Don't know anybody who did this. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, the conductor Daniel Oren. Director is Arno Bernard. Don't know these people. This is the uh, and the the arena itself. It's their orchestra and chorus. So this is the, everything. You know, this is the whole team there that normally does all the performances and stagings at Arena de Verona. This is on Blu-ray from Bel Air Classics, and it is absolutely stunning. Uh, highly, highly, highly recommended for fans of uh, of opera and classical. Uh, we also have uh, Franz Lehar's Das Land des Lachlens. Here I am, half German. I can't uh, can't pronounce this stuff. This is from the Zurich Opera, Opera House, and uh, Franz Lehar, of course, not a not necessarily an opera guy. More, this is light opera. Franz Lehar is the is one of the great light opera figures of the uh, of the last century or so. 
And uh, this is not one that I'm, I'm overly familiar with. I'm more familiar with things like Defleter Mouse and, uh, and that kind of stuff. But uh, this is, uh, it's, it's, it's nice. It's perfectly uh, charming and engaging and, and well put together. It's not like uh, Nabucco. It's not, it's not that. But it, it has its own charm. And if you like Lehar, you'll enjoy that. And then um, Tchaikovsky, Tchaikovsky's Manfred Symphony and Mendelssohn's A Midsummer Night's Dream together on a, a single Blu-ray from the Lucerne Festival line. Uh, the, the complete rundown here is, uh, the, it is Felix Mendelssohn's Overture and Excerpts from the Incidental Music to Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. And then uh, Tchaikovsky's Manfred is, uh, is a, uh, a, a symphony that's based on the writings of Lord Byron, if you're not overly familiar with it. So uh, those are both here on a, on a very, very nice uh, HD Blu-ray from uh, the Lucerne Festival line of Accentus music. So there's that. Mm. And then a few docs uh, that we should make mention of. A couple of 4K ones. Not a lot of these docs from in 4K. And uh, these come from Shout. And they are really, really worth checking out. They're all, all of these come from the, the you know, uh, uh, there, there are a handful of people that do these 4K docs. They go out, they're sort of travel logs. It's more about how amazing, you know, you, the photography and the special effects and what they can put together to really show off the format. But this really does show off the format. And you got a couple of great narrators here. Uh, Dream Big, Engineering Our World, narrated by Jeff Bridges is uh, kind of just a you know an architectural tour de force and it goes through all of these amazing locations and uh, architectural achievements and, and which are in turn engineering achievements and it's it, you know it's like a seven wonders of the world kind of a tour but it's it's beautiful you go everything from the uh, you know the great wall of china to uh, roller coasters to all kinds of other unbelievable uh, technological innovations it, you know, really super tall buildings and all kinds of really interesting stuff. It's very, very good, and it's very, very well put together. And it includes a 4K uh, Blu-ray, a 3D Blu-ray, a regular Blu-ray, and uh, a digital copy. And then the other one that goes along with it, uh, same line, is the uh, National Parks Adventure, which is narrated, of course, by the only person who, uh, whose voice should be associated with National Parks, Robert Redford. And Robert Redford kind of is like the voice of, you know, the wise old uh, live out in the, you know, he made movies about people who lived out in middle of nowhere in the wilderness, and yeah. then he became that guy. So uh, the, anyway, this is just a, a beautiful tour of the uh, national parks. It's absolutely tremendous. They, it, it's a lot of history, a lot of natural beauty, and some tremendous photography here. The director is Greg McGillivray of the uh, company McGillivray Freeman, which all apparently wonderful 3D. They going back like thirty years now. They've been doing a lot of stuff. I mean, I'm not long overly time, yeah. familiar. I know they have a long pedigree doing these kinds of things. Yeah. So uh, they've moved obviously into the uh, the home entertainment 4K realm and uh, doing doing a beautiful job of it. So uh, this also includes a 4K, a 3D Blu-ray, a Blu-ray, and a digital copy. So it's lovely stuff and really, especially if you have an HDR you know, 4K television, which is the only one that you should have, unless, you know, you, you, you have a little tiny one and you, you know, they don't, it doesn't have the technology in it. But for HDR, the, the National Parks is just phenomenal. It just, it bursts. It's like you're literally right there standing in front of all these things. Yeah, groovy, 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 groovy. And then uh, the last three docs here, Pressing On, the Letterpress film, which is a documentary uh, about letterpress and uh, the printers who are preserving it and trying to keep it, you know, a viable uh, artifact of the past. 
uh, it, it really, it's, you know, letterpress is a, if you, you know, if you're, if all you know is laser printing, you don't yeah. realize that printing used to be a really, really meticulous, yeah. almost tedious it process. Very, it was very analog. Very right? analog. It required pressing things together, and, blocks and, and, and ink. Oh, and, it's oh, just, just it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so this is all about the people who are trying to preserve basically the art and craft of that. So it doesn't become something that you just read about in Encyclopedia, Brit Encyclopedia Britannica mm -hmm. and people are on Wikipedia and people just shrug and go, yeah, it's too bad. We've lost all that institutional knowledge. You know, I, every once in a while I will read things like about Greek fire, for example, yeah. you know, which was a, a weapon from, you know, a thousand years ago. Yeah. Nobody knows how they made it. Yeah. The recipe doesn't yeah. exist. All they know was something kind of napalm and gasoline. Yeah, it, was, it was like magnesium. It would burn in water. Yeah, it yeah. would burn in water, and it would set ships on fire and sink them. But nobody today actually has any idea what it was made of. Yeah, they used it in Game of Thrones a couple yeah. of seasons ago. Yeah, see, and you know that's like that's lost <laughs> knowledge. Yeah, and uh, so these, you know, you don't want these things to get lost. So uh, pressing on is all about these amazing people who treat this. Like like wicker people, right? They just it's a it's an analog craft, and they they're trying to keep it alive. Uh, Sidemen, long road to glory, is absolutely a beautiful, beautiful documentary about those uh, unheralded musicians who back up the, the 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 ones that get all the fame and all the glory. And these are just uh, you know not very highly paid, but incredibly skilled journeymen. They don't they're not looking for notoriety. They just go on tour and they. They just play, uh, and they do their job, and they get no glory for it, and yeah. now there's a documentary about them, and it's absolutely terrific. Uh, this is specifically looking at three blues men. Uh, Pine Top Perkins, who was an amazing piano player. The names just always kill me. Willie Big Eyes Smith, who oh, was a drummer, boy. and Hubert Sumlin, uh, who, was the, uh, who was a guitarist. And all of these uh, were sidemen for uh, Muddy Waters, among others. Yeah. So uh, it's really it's really a beautiful beautiful story about three guys who just never said I want to be famous I want to be the star they just said just give me a job just let me let me let me stay on tour with you and I'll I'll do my job and I just really enjoy it and it's just wonderful to shine a spotlight on them and then the last one is uh, from exhibition on screen David Hockney at the Royal Academy of Arts a bigger picture 2012 and 82 portraits and one still life 2016. Uh, I'm not a huge Hockney fan. I know a lot. I know a lot of people who are. My wife is very, very fond of Hockney. Um, I am. I must admit. You know, he's he's a he's a modernist a British painter, and he's got a, a he's got a real following. And uh, you know, this is uh, this is a great celebration of his uh, of his exhibits, the Royal Academy of Arts. And um, you know, I if you if you're a Hockney fan, you'll love it. If you're not, I guess maybe you'll get glean some appreciation for it. I certainly did. I always enjoyed those self portraits and those glasses and. And th those views from 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 the cliffs of uh, of Malibu out over the ocean, and and you know Fernando Treba, the Spanish director who won an Oscar for Belle Epoque, also a big Hockney fan. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh, All right, let's talk about new movies. Do some new movies. Ready Player One. Interesting Ready Player One. Steven Spielberg's big Steven Spielberg friend. To me, uh, Ready Player One was like Steven Spielberg biting Steven Spielberg, like old Steven <laughs> Spielberg <laughs> yeah. Yeah. reaching back and saying, what, did that, what was that young boy doing? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and along with all of his Zemeckis and everything else. Yeah. This uh, basic premise of the film, uh, I don't know, it's, it's the future. <laughs> and, and the world is kind of a funky place. Most people are spending their time in this uh, virtual, virtual reality, reality video called game. Oasis. You can be anybody. You can do anything. This kid, whose name happens to be Wade, yeah, uh, 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 it wins uh, the 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 first uh, uh, um, um, section of this game uh, that might uh, unlock the the key to to the fortune. And 
uh, of the old guy. Mark Rylance shows up a lot in Steven Spielberg's Friends. He does now. He's, that's amazing. Uh, he's so become. he's there and he's wearing the kind of wacky <laughs> wig, <clears throat> which was kind of nuts there. But nevertheless, I don't know. Uh, this film actually did pretty good. And it has pretty good scores. Uh, um, and Rotten Tomatoes and all of that. But at the time... When this film was released and it was out and was going around, I just didn't feel like it was happening. I did not feel like people were catching on to it. We did a we did a, a slam on it. Did we yeah, not? we didn't did. You guys slam? Do we a, did. Do a, do we a did a slam on on uh, cinegods.com. You know, uh, I have such mixed feelings about it because I liked it, but I felt at the same time, and I think this is what I said in the slam, which is that Steven, you know, Steven Spielberg is here riffing on a genre and an era that he himself helped create. Yeah. And there's a melancholy to it. There's a sort of heaviness to it. Uh, you know, the young man who made those movies is not the the older man who's making this one. And it it's, I feel as though those movies were made by a grown man who was fundamentally Peter Pan, the, mm. the boy who didn't want to grow up. Yeah. And I feel like this movie is made by a grown man who wishes he never had grown up. Yeah. And there's a and there's and there's that sort of sadness and heaviness to it. And I, I've heard it changes a few things from the book in not very good way. Uh, you know, like, uh, what's the what are the odds of the fact that all these kids are in the exact same city when this game is being played globally? Yeah. Uh, you know, and there are a few other things in it that don't quite work so well, but it's a, it's a very impressive achievement. It's a little bit more Tintin uh, and uh, and yeah. mocap than a lot of his uh, other recent stuff, obviously. But uh, still, I um, I think in the in the canon of Steven Spielberg films, it is worth it's it's significant. It, and it's uh, it's certainly accurate. It makes sense in the canon. That's true. a lot of special features on here uh, on the uh, what is this? This is a this is 4K. 4K. Yeah, That's 4K, and it's it's de- it's the only way to watch this because otherwise you'll lose. I mean, I, I know a lot of people want you you want to see this in 3D. You think you need to see it in 3D because it's the, it's the whole immersive virtual reality thing. But mm. I got to tell you, if you don't see it in 4K, and you got to choose, there's no 3D 4K. It's either 4K 2D or, three, yeah. or 3D in uh, 1080p. I recommend 4K just because it is so much more immersive. 2D 4K than it is in 3D HD, and it looks the way it ought to look in 3D. Well, you want these. Sort of mocap thing, all these to be yeah. carved out. You want yeah. them crisp. You want them right there. Yeah. You don't really need them in 3D. No, uh, but you do need them sharp and, and, uh, yeah. and right in your face. I got a couple of Blu-rays here uh, that are that are new films. Uh, probably fell off the public radar pretty quickly, but worth rediscovering. One is called uh, Moss by a filmmaker named Daniel Peddle. And uh, it's, for the most part, a fairly standard coming-of-age film, but it's uh, with a, you know, a, kind of a southern angle to it. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, th- there are no name actors in this at all, but the, the young actor who plays Moss, who's this really troubled kid trying to, you know, he's, he's just turned 18, and he's, he's, he's trying to make sense of the world and his life and his very troubled life. And um, it's a... Uh, it uh, feels a little bit throwback at the same time, like it could have been made in the 70s, yeah. maybe should have been made in the 70s. There's a little kind of an easy rider vibe to it at, at times. But uh, I, I really think it's a very, very strong film, and it's, very, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a commanding film in terms of the performances and the, uh, the themes involved. And I think Daniel Peddle is a filmmaker definitely to watch. It includes a little documentary featurette on the, uh, on the making of the film. And then we also have the uh, wonderful and delightful Love After Love, starring Chris O'Dowd and Andy McDowell. Everyone's always forgotten that Andy McDowell is around, and Chris yeah. O'Dowd just shows up in the most unusual places. Uh, but they are absolutely delightful, and uh, it's one of those movies that just finds um, a, a it uses tragedy, as is often the case in these movies, to bring these two people to, together. 
And then it just lets the two actors really, really run with their their skills, run with their personae, with what they do. And um, you know, it's got a it's got a you know a few little twists in it that you sort of easily see coming. But for the most part, you're watching this basically uh, because you want to see Andy McDowell and Chris O'Dowd, and they are and they don't disappoint. They're just absolutely delightful. So. Uh, Highly, highly recommended, especially for fans of those two actors. Yeah. I got a couple of movies here. Uh, Super Troopers 2. Super Troopers. Gosh, I hate these movies. Dude, 2001, <laughs> that, 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 that ridiculous movie. And, you know, fast forward an entire teenager yeah. uh, graduating from high school later, and they, uh, I think they scraped together the money to do this on, like, some kind of a, you know, one of those sort of, like, uh, yeah. funding kind of things, you know? Yep. You do? And I don't know. Maybe the universe is telling you you don't need to do that. If you gotta, <laughs> I don't know, but I plainly am wrong. They made the movie. Here it is. Uh, this one includes hilarious extended deleted scenes. I bet it don't. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and in any case, what? Look, either you dig this whole broken lizards uh, uh, troop kind of thing, or you don't. Not it would never was really my cup of tea. I was always a more of a uh, kids in the hall. Uh, uh, kind of a guy yeah. you know, than, than, than this. But nevertheless, I know there are people that love this. Blu-ray, DVD, digital, special features, the making of uh, deleted scenes, uh, blah, 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 all that kind of crap. Dude, Borg McEnroe, I, I think I like this better than most people. Dude. I, it just seemed to have come and go. First of all, Shia LaBeouf, who I, I know people would Shia, and he is, and I get that, but damn it, that boy can act. Dude, this I'm gonna I'm gonna shock some people right now. This came from Neon. Mm. Neon is still trying to get their footing as a uh, distributor. They they're doing good films. They just aren't necessarily promoting them very well. Uh, they of course did uh, the, uh, the the with Margot Robbie last year as uh, I Tanya. I Tanya. Mm. And uh, this is my favorite film of the year so it's, far. It's, it's it was just an outstanding movie. I about love this the, movie. The 1980 uh, Wimbledon Borg and, and McEnroe, young yeah. McEnroe Shia. The guy that's playing uh, uh, Bjorn is just, yeah. I can't I can't say his name. You he's, say it. he's a Swedish actor. Yeah, and he, I can't, uh, Sverir Goodnason. And he's just it's it's like it's like uh, that when Ron Howard did that racing movie. Yes, with, and those two guys. Uh, yeah. It was just bizarre. Yeah. how dead on these two yeah. guys are. It's a perfect analogy because both of those movies, Rush is the Rush. movie you're talking about. The Ron Howard film, Rush, the racing film. Uh, both that film and this film. They wallow in authenticity. Mm. They recreate the era. They recreate it's, racing this and tennis. Smells like it just, England, nineteen eighty. First of right all, there. I watched that match because you know me, tennis freak. Yeah, and I'm telling you, man, I I'm watching that. that, and they are re recreating moments. They're recreating moments, and it was just, it's just, and I don't get it. I don't get it. I just but, don't. Why didn't people get this movie? Both those movies, and that was my favorite movie of that year too. Both of those movies live in the same place, which is even though we're recreating everything meticulously. It's all about these characters and the fact that they are both friends and rivals yeah. at the same time. Yeah. They admire each other, but they are determined to beat each other down. Yeah. They, the one, they're yin and yang. They can't live without each other, and they represent you know, opposing forces. And there's so much in Borg versus McEnroe that is so amazing. And it's so and beautifully shot. It's beautifully done. It's incredibly well made. It Ellen is guard in the movie. This is virtuoso filmmaking. It and is absolutely it, virtuoso filmmaking. I just, uh, people, just you know, see this movie because uh, I, I'm sure for some of the uh, independent, the, uh, what is it, the Indie Spirit Awards? Yeah. Uh, they'll talk about it at the Indie Spirit Awards. I hope so. The Golden Globes might pay attention because you know how they divide up those categories. It's the Golden Globes, but the Oscars need to be paying attention to this. They do. Uh, and I am movie. not a Shia LaBeouf fan. We know that. I know. He drives yeah, yeah. me crazy, yeah. and I thought he was sensational in this. Absolutely spot on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, special features, interviews with the director and Shia and, uh, and the actor that plays. Uh, and it's just a really great movie, folks. i got to recommend yeah. this just because it's a really good movie. I, 
I, I just I wish they would uh, I wish they would have done a better job marketing it. It came like you said, it came and it went and nobody saw it and it uh, it's kind of vanished and I have this horrible fear that award season will come around and neon will feel like it's not worth any putting any any time or money into and I would heavily heavily encourage them to, to do the opposite just really really take this thing yeah put it out send it out you know what you do you take that blu-ray yeah you get yourself you know a couple hundred copies which isn't going to cost them anything and on october 1st you mail that to every critic in every major critics group in america yeah that's going to be you know 60 some odd people in our group that's going to be about 80 in the new york film critics you know however many people are in the the national board of review and and uh those are the first three yeah and, 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 and get you it give on them their a radar note and you say do yourself a favor we know you forgot about it yeah do yourself a favor and do it. i think you'll find a couple of best actors in this at least I uh, got a little caper comedy called The uh, the Con Is On with a cute cast that includes Oma Thurmond and uh, Alice Eve, Tim Roth, Sophia Vergara, uh, and Maggie Q. Uh, it's, a, it's a cute bunch of people, and it's a cute little uh, caper comedy. And, um, you know, it's it's exactly what I would have expected from the, the Grindstone Lionsgate Alliance. Uh, if you haven't been keeping up, Grindstone is, of course, a, uh, a company that really cranks out a lot of stuff that Lionsgate typically releases theatrically and always releases on uh, DVD and Blu-ray. And what Grindstone does, they are, they are all either kind of uh, mid-level, very broad comedies, or they are really violent uh, action films that usually star somebody aging like uh, Bruce Willis or you know a bunch of them star Steven Seagal. Uh, anyway, so Grindstone went for the comedy angle on this. Uh, Antonio Banderas shows up in a lot of their stuff too. And it's really very much in that in that grindstone thing. It's very much what they do. Uh, it's all about a, uh, a jewel theft scam, and uh, they're trying to pay off a gangster who's played by Maggie Q. And you know, then all this this uh, all this you know kind of Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's yeah, Twelve, Thirteen, yeah, Ocean's yeah. Eight kind of stuff starts to kind of happen. Some of it's more credible than some of the other stuff. It's you know touch and go, but it's nice to see these stars. It's nice to see uh, Uma Thurman in particular. Uh, and uh, it's just it's well cast and it's uh, amiable. It's not great, but it's perfectly fine. And Parker Posey even shows up as well. So, um, traffic T R A F F I K I K because that's important for yeah. some reason. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's the name of this little Blu-ray uh, that I got in front of me. Paula Patton, Omar Epps, Laz Alonzo, Rosalind Sanchez. And Where's Omar Epps been? Uh, you, seriously, he was on this series that I was watching for a little while, and then that went away and never came back, and I didn't Gosh. see him for a while. I guess he was off making this movie, among other things. Uh, love me some Paula Patton, of course. Uh, and Laz Alonzo's a pretty cool guy, too, for that matter. This is one of those movies... Uh, about a couple that goes off into the woods for a little weekend kind of thing, stumbles across a biker gang, biker gang, really dark, deep woods, biker gang that's doing some really yeah. uh, brutal, nasty stuff out there. They are unexpectedly joined <laughs> by their you know, good friends, who, you know, and next thing you know, all four of them are in danger because these bikers are going to have to kill them. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and it's all about how them, them toughing up and fighting their way out of this situation. You know, look, it's a perfectly good movie. Uh, and, and that sort of extremely ordinary, you've seen this 10,000 times, a thriller kind of way. Nevertheless, special features include a, uh, a, uh, a making of kind of thing uh, and a look at how these things sort of sometimes happen somewhere, but not really. Uh, we've got some TV, and we're going to talk about, uh, first off, some foreign stuff, British and French. Uh, Spiral Season 6 from MHZ. Season 6, this show continues to be a real, real hummer. 
uh, it's interesting, you know, of all the stuff that MHZ has brought over here from Italy, from Sweden, from Germany, from France, from all, you know, all the different uh, European countries where they've gone to, to mine some of their best drama, most of it uh, uh, procedural police dramas, the one that really seems to have caught fire here is Spiral. Mm. Spiral really, really has gained a following. And uh, this is, a, this is a, a, a gritty French uh, procedural, takes place in Paris, and it's, uh, you know, it's really, really brutal and really tough, incredibly well-written and, and acted. I don't think it's better than especially some of the Swedish stuff. I think there's some Swedish stuff uh, that's certainly definitely on par with this. However, uh, this is the one that really, really uh, everybody's just uh, loving. And uh, it's a great show. And season six, it continues to be a really, really great show. This has won international Emmys for... Uh, for its writing and for its directing, and it is, uh, it's really, really sharp. So uh, Spiral Season 6 is worth checking out. And then a couple from uh, Acorn TV, just to, one of them you're already going to know, Murdoch Mysteries is now in Season 11. I don't know I, what more we can say about this. This thing I, is still... I love the Murdoch Mysteries. It's so great. You know. It's so great. And uh, I love that it's Canadian. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, uh, it's, it's just a really, really great show. Uh, you know, William Murdoch, uh, played by Yannick Bisson, and uh, uh, you know, Johnny Harris, I mean, some great actors near Thomas Craig, all takes place in Toronto during the Edwardian era yeah. when, you know, it's, or it's, still, it's, it's, very, it's still very much like, uh, it's like London West yeah, yeah. In, a, in a way. But I love all the references to things going on in America. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's so funny. It's great, and this is made by ITV, who, of course, are the same studio that made... Uh, <coughs> what? Excuse me. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, Downton Abbey. Mm. And then uh, Eve Miles in Keeping Faith, uh, another Acorn TV original. Uh, Keeping Faith is, is extremely... Uh, how do I put this? Uh, it's, it's really eerie. It's a, it's a skin-crawling kind of a thriller, and uh, it's one of those great thrillers that uh, really toys with how long it can keep your suspense and your tension going. It really, really can string it out in a beautiful way. Uh, Eve Miles, who stars in it, uh, is uh, is an attorney, uh, you know, a mom, and she's an attorney, and you know, trying to do all of this stuff, juggling motherhood and and job, and. Um, there's a you know some interesting tension with the husband too that they you know they have they 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 work together and that's they they you know have the, they founded a law firm together and and but she's she's the one that's carrying the burden with the kids and you know there's all this all that interesting domestic stuff and um, then something happens and I'm not going to tell you what happens but mm. something something happens that you don't see coming and it throws her life for a loop. And it is where it goes from there yeah. in all of these really fascinating and unexpected avenues and, and you know, little deep trenches. And it gets really awkward. I mean, there, there are times where you're going to say, i got to pause this and go eat something yeah. because this, this tension has it to builds, dissipate. It builds, it builds real slow. I like that about it. It it's builds very real cool. slow. Eight episodes. Uh, but, you know, you only need the eight episodes. You do. It doesn't need more. And uh, also includes a behind-the-scenes documentary that's nearly an hour long and that's really, really great. Eve Miles deserves to have a really big career here. Let me yeah. just say that. She should have a big career here. Um, a mosaic is a HBO miniseries uh, from, from, well, from, so, uh, from Steven Soderbergh, basically. It's kind of complicated, uh, and it goes back to this app, this mosaic app, which, which was this interactive storytelling app uh, that viewers could use as they followed this uh, whole storyline. 
uh, that had to do with a whole thing that goes down on New Year's Eve and then somebody goes disappearing, a high, you know, sort of high-profile person goes disappearing. But if you use the app, you could sort of make choices and, 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 and go down different uh, tributaries of, of, of the narrative and, and come out in different places. So that's the way that works. So anyway, um, this series right here is sort of like doing that too, but within the context of an actual HBO miniseries. Um, and that's what happens. There's uh, um, uh, a uh, 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 six-part thriller, and uh, there's this uh, very successful children's author, uh, uh, and, and um, uh, there's this big old New Year's Eve party, and somebody goes missing, and the question is uh, exactly what happened. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really the experience that you're engaged in here, the sort of way the story is being told, you know, the, the, the stuff that has to do with, you know, who did what and where and all that kind of stuff. You know, n nothing particularly groundbreaking there, but how you sort of work your way through it all uh, is uh, quite interesting uh, from this thing. So uh, check it out for that reason alone. If nothing, I'll tell you another reason to check it out because uh, Sharon Stone is in it. And I got to tell you, I still love me some Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone is, uh, you know, has come back from some rough times, yeah. some health problems and financial problems, and she's, uh, she's, she, that's a resilient, that's a strong, resilient woman. So very, very uh, happy that uh, that's happened for her. Yeah. Uh, let's get to some uh, classics, some library and catalog stuff here. Uh, we got four really terrific ones this month from Twilight Time. Uh, Twilight Time keeps just finding the really interesting stuff. It may or may not be uh, your cup of tea. These are four very, very different films, but uh, they're all really great, uh, you know, well worth discovering and, and putting out there. Um, the most recent of them, actually, is The Children of Huang Shi. I'm surprised that they were actually able to get this. This only came out about 10 years ago, and um, this is on Blu-ray for the very, very first time. It's based in truth. Uh, Roger Spottiswood... <laughs> Uh, directs this uh, extraordinary, uh, it's almost like a Pearl S. Buck type story, uh, which uh, is all about a, uh, a, the evacuation. He's a, you know, Jonathan Rhys Myers plays this journalist who's in China when Japan invades in 1938 and uh, has to help basically evacuate uh, Chinese citizens and, and save these people. And uh, it's, a, it's a very, very touching story. It's shot in a beautiful, epic way. And uh, it's a it's a it's a quite a good film. It's probably one of Roger Spottiswood's best films, as far as I'm concerned. Didn't get a lot of love from other critics, but I think it's very very well well directed. Rada Mitchell, who kind of just fell off the the radar a few years ago, she's in it as well. Chow Yun Fat, Michelle Yeoh get together again for the first time since Crouching uh, Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, a good solid film that was released at the time by Sony Pictures Classics, The Children of Huang Shi. And then there's also... I did the junket for that movie. Did you really? Yeah, Talk with Maggie. Yeah. Oh, man, it, it's just uh, it's a good film. Uh, and then there's also an old Jane Russell film with Richard Egan called The Revolt of Mamie Stover. Uh, you know, not, not, a, not a legendary classic or anything. I mean, there's nothing about Jane Russell or Richard Egan that, that should make anybody just kind of lose their mind over. Two very, very solid, uh, you know, second-tier performers for a long time. But what makes this worth it is the fact that it was directed by Raoul Walsh. And Raoul Walsh is just one of those great, crusty, old, workman-like journeyman directors who somehow always brought a little something, a little special something to everything that he did. And uh, this is one of them. Made in 1956, and uh, it all takes place in Honolulu. And, you know, Mamie Stover is a, is a dance hall girl, and uh, Richard Egan is a... You know, a, a, just a client, just a guy who kind of takes a liking to her, and somehow this movie winds up being a whole lot better than it really has any business being, and uh, it's it's kind of fun. Uh, Genghis Khan. There have been a number of Genghis Khan movies. This one, they put the original artwork on the cover, which is great, because 
It's the original artwork that was used to clearly borrow from Ben-Hur. Oh, they my said, goodness. Yes. <laughs> Let's take the Ben-Hur logo and totally rip it off. There could so have been a lawsuit involved in it that. It really could have been. Uh, it's sort of hilarious. Uh, this, is, uh, this is not the Genghis Khan that starred um, uh, John Wayne, thank goodness. Uh, nor is this the, uh, well, there, there's, a, there's another horrible one. This is the one with Omar Sharif. There have been a number, remember that. Uh, this is the one with Omar Sharif and, among other people, Telly Savalas and Eli Wallach, who somehow shows up in every movie ever made uh, throughout the 60s and 70s. Eli Wallach was, you know, what, what he, he's like 100 years old his yeah. whole life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's hysterical. He's still alive, isn't it, he? It, no, I think, I think he, uh, uh, he not, finally not, died. Not too terribly long ago, but hey, he was like 102. Yeah. Incredible. Anyhow, the uh, you know, you're, you're watching this because it's a little bit of period kitsch from 1965, a year that uh, was otherwise known for The Sound of Music and Dr. Zhivago and, and bigger movies. So uh, this is certainly not, uh, it's not what Omar Sharif is known for from this particular period of time, but um, it's, it's perfectly fine. Uh, the other distinguishing part of this, directed by Henry Levin, not a great director, but the other distinguishing part of this is the fact that it was uh, photographed by Jeffrey Unsworth, who three years later would do uh, 2001 A Space ah, Odyssey yes. and put himself on the map forever. So, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's, a, it's a nice, good, solid, B-minus level kind of programmer epic from the era. Uh, a lot better than stuff like, you know, Quo Vadis, but sort of in the same camp. Yeah, I Claudius. Yeah, and then the, yeah, I and then the last one here is uh, Cinderella Liberty, from, uh, also a, uh, from the Twilight Time series. I love uh, that movie. Cinderella Liberty is a beautiful movie. This was one of the first films that Mark Rydell really, uh, where he really made, a, made his mark. Um, he had previously done uh, The Cowboys mm -hmm. with uh, Steve McQueen, and then he uh, really, really kind of put his mark on, on the world with Cinderella Liberty before going on to do On Golden Pond and... You know, well, and that was that. That was near the end of that period of uh, of these filmmakers who were actually working. They were studio filmmakers. Yeah. But the films that they were making were very independent-looking films. Exactly. Bob Rafelson's. Yeah. Five Easy Pieces. Yeah. Arnold, all that kind of stuff. So, but you know, this is uh, this is Jimmy Kahn and uh, uh, what's your name? Um, uh, Marsha Mason. Marsha, Marsha Mason. Yep. And, 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 she has, and, and, and Eli Wallach again. Eli Wallach, yeah. And she's got Can't the black. She's got like the black sun, and and, and it's he's great. In the Navy, and you got well, the, it's, it's a great movie. You know, it's based on a novel by uh, Daryl Ponsikin, who who uh, who adapted this, or Ponikson, I guess is how you pronounce mm. his name, who adapted this himself. He wrote the last detail, which is kind of what what made him uh, famous. Uh, you know, Mark Rydell was also one of the first directors to regularly use John Williams. John Williams' score for the Cowboys, if you've never heard it, is one of his best. Mm -hmm. One of his very, very best. It's what kind of pulled him out of television. He does a really wonderful score here, too. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it, James Caan is terrific. And he had, you know, he's just coming off of The Godfather here. And Marsha Mason is really kind of making her way as one of the premier actresses of the 1970s. And yeah. it's, a, it's really a lovely, lovely movie. They don't make movies like that anymore. No, they don't. Uh, this includes the original audio commentary track with Mark Rydell uh, and a little uh, behind-the-scenes bit as well as an isolated music track. That's it for Twilight Time. Oh, man. Good stuff. Uh, you got some more over there? You want to knock? No, up no, go, go for those. Uh, Wind Rider, uh, 1986. A lot of things I love about this movie, but mostly they're in the cast uh, of the movie. Um, you got Tom uh, Berlinson in this movie, and he was in The Man from Snowy River, uh, which was uh, just a movie uh, that I really, really loved. It was one of the few, those few movies that sort of made it here. Uh, uh, from, it's just a beautiful movie. Uh, you got Charles Tingwell in this movie, and he was in uh, uh, Breaker Morant. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, and you got, of course, a very young Nicole Kidman in this movie. Fantastic. Uh, with that crazy red hair, hair that somehow went away at a certain point. Yeah. Uh, isn't that funny? Yeah. You know, oh, Dead well. Calm. I remember she had all that hair. And then suddenly after Dead Calm, the hair went away. Uh, yeah. Dead Calm with Billy Zane when yeah. he had hair, too. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> it, 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 this, is, this is just this neat movie. It's about this kid. He's a rich kid. He's a windsurfer, which was a big sport in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, particularly down under. And uh, she's a rock star, or at least a rock and roll girl anyway, and there's a big old competition coming up, and, and uh, his father wants him to get a real job, and, and she wants him to be his own man. And it's just one of, those, one of those movies that pops up on television all the time, and I don't know, it just sort of like takes me back, and I, re and I really deeply appreciate it. Uh, it has all kinds of special features uh, here. This is a HD transfer, probably the best I will have seen this. This is the best I've seen this. I've seen this movie 50 times on television. Yeah. It's always been soft and grainy. <laughs> you know, yeah. looking at it here, it's like Nicole Kidman. She's so beautiful, you can hardly even look at her. And you know what? She was always a good actress. She, she was, always was. She was always a True. good actress. Anyway, yeah. um, Wind Rider from uh, MVD Rewind Collection. In the Mouth of Madness has to be one of John <laughs> Carpenter's wildest, craziest, wackiest films. I've gone back and forth on whether I like this or not. So I love many it. Times. I love it. I love it because it is completely out of control. And Sam Neill, also from Down Under, yeah. is just playing it straight to the wall. And I love the way it's very meta. Meta before it the is. word meta was being used. There's a book, <laughs> and a guy is writing the book, but the book is manifesting itself yeah. in the real world, and people will read the book, and you read it back, and you're in this whole loop, and yeah. this guy goes, hey, is, it, is it real? Is he inside? It's just, it's really, and it just never yeah. takes its foot off the gas pedal. It, that it doesn't. I, you can certainly say that. Yeah. Although it's just, it it feels like uh, like somebody slipped Buckaroo Banzai a, a tab of acid or oh, something. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Well, you know, and this is this is Sam Neill a few years after the Omen and all that kind of stuff, but probably before Jurassic yeah. Park, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. For sure. And so he's you know he's not that much of a familiar face. And you know, and John Carpenter doing some of his best work by me again, packed with special features on a 4K span. Uh, 4K scan of the original elements, audio commentaries with the director and uh, the and the producer and, uh, and and other people, and look at inside the film and behind the film. Uh, this uh, audio commentary with the uh, cinematographer. Uh, just really, really, really. If you're a fan of this particular genre or uh, John Carpenter's films, collector's edition, John Carpenter's in the Mouth of Madness. So uh, we got some stuff here from the Warner Archive collection, and the first one is a movie you've probably never heard of. And I almost don't even know how to review this. Mm -hmm. So Ned Kelly, let's just talk about Ned Kelly for a second. Ooh, Ned Kelly, know who Ned Kelly is. Ned Kelly is the most famous outlaw of the uh, Australian Western period. Ned Kelly is sort of like the Australian version of Billy the Kid and Jesse James all wrapped together. Yeah. And Ned Kelly's story has been told at least a dozen times, already in the silent era. There are, there are two or three silent Ned Kelly films from Australia. And then the one that's perhaps most known here was one with Heath Ledger yeah. uh, from about 10 years ago yeah. or so, yeah. about 10 yeah. years ago, uh, before, the, uh, before he obviously passed away and before The Dark Knight. Uh, and uh, at some point, after Yahoo Sirius had his very bizarre... Uh, carrot toppy moment of fame here playing yeah. uh, uh, young Einstein. He went back and made this incredibly zany and odd movie where he kind of sort of plays Ned Kelly transported yeah. to the present, but with all this weird Yahoo serious stuff going on called Reckless Kelly. That's this movie. It's called <laughs> yeah. Reckless Kelly. The fact that I had to describe all of that to you before even mentioning the name of the movie 
is the problem, is that you're not going to go into this unless you know all of that ahead of time. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, unless you really like Yahoo Serious and that whole thing that he does, this will not make any sense to you. Uh, Every now and again, uh, uh, the Aussies would spit somebody at us. A couple, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other one's Paul Hogan, the, the crocodile. And, this, and there's a little bit of that in this, too, because yeah. he comes to the United States at a certain point here. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's a weird movie, man. <laughs> it's really odd. But it's Yahoo Serious, and he has a following, so whatever. Uh, and then the other two Warner, it's, that's on DVD only, DVD-R, uh, manufacturer on demand. The other two Warner Archive releases are uh, both on Blu-ray, and they absolutely deserve it. These are two... Flat out classics, and if you are a completist of great movies, you're going to have to have all both of them. Um, Herman Melville is typically known for writing Moby Dick, but he's also known for writing Billy Budd. Mm-hmm. And uh, Billy Budd was turned into a sensational Cinemascope movie uh, with Robert Ryan and Peter Ustinov, and uh, it was Terrence Stamp's first movie. And man, does he look great in it! He's young, and look here's here's the picture of Terrence Stamp in it. Look at that, right yeah, in the middle there. Man, he's that's just a, a that, kid. That's a leading man. That's a, that's but a leading man to be. Look yeah. at those. Look at that. Those, that jaw. That's, that's even before poor cow. Yeah, yeah, it is pre poor cow. This was his first. Uh, his first thing. So anyway, this is uh, this is really really a tremendous movie. It is really well done. It's just it's a it's beautifully executed in every conceivable way. Directed, I should point out, by Peter Ustinov, who really at this point knew how to put a movie together because he'd been in enough of them. This is over two hours long. And it's just a wonderful swashbuckling seafaring adventure uh, in, the, in that classic Cinemascope vein. The other one is Paul Newman in one of his very best performances, The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean. Uh, I grew up on this movie. This was directed yeah. by John Houston and uh, written by John Melius. There's a lot of testosterone yeah, in that boy. right there. John Melius, Red Dawn, baby. I like to imagine that John Melius and John Houston probably got together when they were working out the script for this, and rather than working out the story, they just compared wounds <laughs> and drank a lot to see who could actually hold his liquor the hardest, and then they went out and they would shoot big game, and somewhere in there they worked out a movie, and Paul Newman was the beneficiary. The thing about John Melius, though, I mean, for all, you know, Conan, I mean, yeah. how many things we... Uh, of John Melius. John Melius co-wrote Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now, exactly. That specifically, yeah. John Melius is the guy who didn't go to Vietnam because he had asthma. That's right. So you know. But but here, let me tell you my John Melius story before we get into what a great western the, the life and times of Judge Roy Bean is. Um, I was this had to be oh I want to say nineteen maybe nineteen eighty eighty one. I don't even remember what movie I was seeing. I might have been standing in line for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, it was at the Man's National Theater, where I would later work when I graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I think it was probably Raiders of the Lost Ark. And we're standing in line. The National doesn't exist anymore. It's a theater. And I knew what John Melius looked like. Yeah, right? big, big dude, I didn't burly. Re- I didn't realize he was about 5'10", though. Yeah. He's not tall. He's no. just burly. Yeah. And suddenly, we're standing there, and here's John Melius scoping out the line. Now, the reason I noticed him was not because I noticed John Melius. The reason I noticed him be- was because I thought, who is that old, fat, white guy who is wearing <laughs> a kamikaze rising sun headband? Yeah. Who, what, what, what is that about? He was. Yeah. It, what, those headbands that they'd, they'd strap on with the I rising really, sun on. Yeah. He had one of those on. Yeah. It's a yeah. Saturday morning in Westwood. It was like 85 degrees in the summer. What are you doing, man? Come yeah. on. And, and John Melius would have been like 45 then. Yeah. John Melius, interesting thing about John Melius? Yeah. From St. Louis. Is he? Yep. 
you got all the good I people. I have no there. idea. They are, it's, it's a weird thing. Well, anyway, uh, this is uh, uh, The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean from the 1970s is a classic 70s Western. Uh, and 70s Westerns are starting to get into that revisionist thing where they're really, uh, they're, they're sort of turning their backs on everything that was a little bit glorious and glamorous about all of those classic John Wayne Westerns of the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. uh, all that, uh, that, that John Ford stuff. And they're getting a little bit tougher and more cynical. Yeah, and a little big man in movies like this. Yeah. And, uh, and this is great. This is absolutely right in there, and uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a bank heist, and there's all these, there are all these interesting sort of Western tropes in here, but it really is all about reinventing our, our mythology of the West in, uh, in a very cynical but incredibly entertaining way, and what a great movie Funny. this is. Fantastic Maurice Jarre music. Uh, you know, there's a there's a there's a famous song here that was written by uh, Andy Williams uh, or sung by Andy Williams, written by the Bergmans, uh, Marilyn, Marilyn, uh, Marilyn and Alan Bergman. Uh, but what a you know, what a great cast! I mean, Stacy Keach and Tab Hunter and Jackie Bissett and Anthony Perkins, Victoria Principal, Anthony yeah. Zerby, oh, Ava Principal. Gardner, Roddy McDowell. I mean, oh. it's just an amazing bunch of people. And why wouldn't you want to be in this with Paul Newman in a script written by John Milius and directed by John Freakin? Houston's The yeah. Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean. You've got to see it. It's one of the all-time great Westerns. And uh, Paul Newman's particularly good in that. Uh, it is ridiculous to me that Terminator 2 Judgment Day uh, is considered a classic film. There it is. <laughs> there it is. 1991. It, it's, it's, it's odd that I can, I can sometimes remember. I, mean, I, can, I can remember mostly when I saw big movies. Mm-hmm. But I can remember something so specific about seeing this movie in Westwood. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, as a critic. Uh, and still having to stand in line. I reviewed this for Entertainment Today, you, you, and, you got and I did the junket. You got, you and got I remember sitting there with James Cameron and everybody from the movie. I remember this so well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my mo- my mother in law and father in law were in town. We took them to see the movie. Anyway, this is a, a, a two disc uh, ultra 4K uh, and Blu-ray. It's just fantastic. All kinds of stuff on it. Uh, just can't go wrong. Tell me, Wade. This has never been released since 1991. Well, not 4K. It's been released about three or four times on Blu-ray and all in different cuts, Ah. which has gotten very annoying. There are all these different cuts that that, uh, Cameron couldn't decide on. and Going all Blade Runner on it. Yeah, yeah. so just forget about all those and just get this. Just get that and be done with it. Just get it on 4K. This one's unrated. Keep that in mind. Uh, And then we have The Navigator, A Medieval Odyssey. Um, So uh, Vincent Ward is a very, very well-regarded Australian director who, um, or is he, or is he uh, from New Zealand, Vincent Ward? Oh, I can't remember. I, I thought he was Australian, but uh, I could be wrong. I might have gotten that wrong. Anyway, uh, I, think, I think it's New Zealand. I think Vincent Ward is, is, is a Kiwi. So my apologies to all of our down-under people <laughs> and, and to our uh, Kiwi people. Yeah, I didn't mean to. Uh, I usually New get Zealand. that right. Yep. Yeah, see, New Zealand. See, because see, Sam Neill is from New Zealand, and so is Russell Crowe, and everybody Indeed. else gets those wrong. Yeah. So I always try to I always try to make sure that we don't uh, don't do wrong by our our friends in uh, in New Zealand and Australia and make sure we keep those two countries separate, close as they are. Uh, so anyway, Vincent Ward um, is probably best known here for uh, I want to say Virgil. What, what well Virgil was his first film, What Dreams May Come. Oh yeah, Robin Williams. Robin Williams, yeah. Uh, which didn't really succeed as no. well as they had hoped it would. In any case, astounding um, special effects. Uh, the pioneering w- stuff. Yeah, and the Navigator, a medieval odyssey, uh, is is um, uh, it, it's again, it's like a lot of his stuff. It's not as successful as it should be, but you can't help but admire what he's trying to do here. Uh, it's you know, you're 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 trying to. He's, it's basically kind of 
somewhere between um, Time Bandits, mm. I guess I want to say, uh, and maybe Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. That's probably not a really good uh, analogy. But anyway, it's um, it's 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 a it's a time travel story. It deals with this kid and you know the Black Death and and being transported to. Um, a, a place and time. I, I'm trying not to give away sort of what the the essence of it is, but it um, as a genre film, it it doesn't quite work as a drama, almost even as a period drama. It does. It's very meditative. Yeah. It's a little artier, and that's sort of a, a hallmark of Vincent Ward's work is that he's a little artier than most Which genre is weird filmmakers are. He was one of the, he was one of the principal writers on uh, Alien Three. Yeah. Yeah. And he I don't know what he's doing now, but uh, yeah. anyway, it's worth watching. I don't know if it's worth owning, but this is from uh, Arrow Video, and it's on Blu-ray, and it has a ton of extras here, including a 1989 documentary on Vincent Ward that was originally uh, aired on television, and uh, a, uh, a a new uh, appreciation that was recorded specifically for this by uh, film critic Nick Roddick. Yeah. Uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Man, did this movie stink up the place when it... When it, when it I don't, came out. I, don't you wonder what they were thinking when they greenlit this? Yeah, well, you know, look. Chevy it, Chase is Chevy, the Invisible it's Chevy, Man. It's Chevy what? Chase that's the Invisible Man. And, and it doesn't, first of all, that means it's going to be a comedy. Yeah. And what, what, what did Chevy Chase do funnier than anybody else on the planet? Fall down. Yeah. What does uh, an Invisible Man, yeah. an Invisible Man falling down? That's not funny. Can't see the Invisible Man falling down. Even better than that was yeah. the was a movie that I actually was an usher for. I worked at the theater when they released uh, the Steve Gutenberg 3D Invisible Man movie. Oh, I remember that. An Invisible Man in 3D. Let me say that again. Yeah. The Invisible Man in 3D. In 3D. It's just you, what they they used to set money on fire at the studios. The uh, 80s which were, by the way, 80s were weird. Back when we used to make money. Uh, anyway, uh, this is really a terrible movie. Sam Neill shows up in this movie. Uh, it's funny how back, how far back some of these guys go. And it's a John Carpenter film, which is just it just didn't make any sense as a John None. Carpenter film in any way, shape, or form. Nevertheless, here we have a new 2K scan <laughs> and some other features, including outtakes. I wonder what they took out of the Invisible Man movie that they thought, nah, this is not working. Nah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll leave the rest of this crap movie going. I don't know, whatever. The Invisible Man on Blu-ray. Uh, and then we have a, uh, a Kino Lorber title here that is kind of a cool rediscovery. Uh, I had forgotten that this existed. I saw this a long time, like decades ago. This is a brand new HD master from a 4K scan of the original 35 millimeter negative. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and hopefully this isn't a letdown. <laughs> now that I get, now that I've given you that, let me repeat that. This is a new HD master from a 4K scan of the 35 uh, millimeter original negative of the movie, A Strange Adventure. I know you're thinking, what? Yeah. Of a, of a, yeah. What is this? Yeah. What? Uh, what? Uh, what? Yeah. And there's nobody in particular who who stars in this that you should be very much it's impressed good noir. by. That's good noir. It's just a. It's kind of a second tier noir, but it's good second tier noir. The uh, guy who directed this, William Whitney, is basically known for a whole lot of kind of cheesy westerns. You know, those those programmer westerns that they would just shoot in about two and a half weeks, and you know, round up some horses and have, have the cowboys make up their dialogue. And um, this is all about uh, you know some guys who rob an armored car. And uh, they get a uh, get a, a a guy with a hot rod, a guy yeah. who's a, who's like a hot rod racer to be their getaway guy. Yeah. 
and which is um, such a contemporary. This is 1956. 1956. Like. Yeah, this is such a contemporary notion. And then they go and hide out in this mountain cabin, and then all hell breaks loose, and everything's uh, all wacky at that point. It's uh, it's a really really you know it's a much cooler film than uh, that description lets on. It's just done with a whole lot of style, a whole lot of kind of noiry flair. And the nice thing about it is, Tim and I talk about this a lot. This movie does not overstay its welcome. No. One second, this is seventy minutes. Boom! You knock those credits off when they roll at the end. You're there sixty nine minutes and out. <laughs> Nick Give yourself an in hour. This movie too. It's Love fantastic. Nick Adams in the movie. And Joan 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 Evans, who is so hot in this movie. Yeah. Whitney used to direct like a lot of those West uh, High Chaparral and yeah. Virginia and yeah. the Cowboys and all that stuff. Yeah. He, he was one of those dudes. Uh, Beyond Reanimator. These movies <laughs> is that possible to get beyond Reanimator? They, they just won't stop. They just will not stop. And you got to appreciate it a little bit. There's really not a whole lot more to say about it. But I actually enjoyed this stuff back in the day. Anyway, audio commentary here with director Brian Yunza and the isolated score and uh, audio interviews, all kinds of neat stuff. Look, you're either a fan of this business or you're not. Uh, uh, lots of people are. You still got Jeffrey Combs here as Doctor Herbert West, uh, just shooting all kinds of crazy green goo. <laughs> into people's heads and making them explode. So silly. The one thing I like about these movies, practical effects. They never yeah. did. They never went to the CGI. True. They never went to the CGI. They yep. build crap. They blow it up. Green goo flies all over the place. You got to enjoy that, man. Uh, you know, Milos Forman. Uh, um, Milos, he went away. He did. We yeah. just lost him recently, and he didn't exactly go out on a bang. Uh, yeah. Milos Forman reteamed uh they, they they kind of all tried to get together and do a big thing again he reteamed with some of his greatest collaborators including producer Saul Zantz with whom he made two best picture winners and screenwriter Jean-Claude Carrière who wrote uh Valmont and who wrote tons of films for t I mean you know unbearable lightness of being mm. some of the greatest uh, stuff for Bunuel one of the greatest screenwriters of all time in many languages and they all got together for a film that, by rights, should have been absolutely fantastic. Uh, you had Natalie Portman, Javier Bardem, and Stellan Skarsgård, Goya's Ghosts. And I remember when this came out in 2006, and I thought, oh, this is going to be amazing. How do you get all those people together, and you, you, you don't bonk it? You yeah. can't. It's just too much talent that they're just all going to make each other better. And but that movie is crazy boring, man. This movie is just a great big lump of coal. Yeah. Uh, Skarsgård, Randy Quaid, just so boring. Just, it's just dull. It's really dull. And the whole thing takes place uh, during the Spanish Inquisition, and uh, it's you know it's got a little Napoleonic War backdrop going on, and you're you're you know uh, Javier Bardem plays Goya, the great painter, uh, and uh, it's just it, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Beautiful. You know? It's nice to look at, but it just doesn't do anything. You never actually feel. You, you know, the whole idea is that you're supposed to sort of feel that uh, feel the weight of the Inquisition, the weight of the politics. You're supposed to feel Goya and his his artwork and the people in his circle is sort of, you know, representative of those who are suffering. And I, you know, those are, I, I understand what they're going for, but it just doesn't work. It yeah. doesn't work. Uh, still, it's not not worth watching. It's just it's an unfortunate failure given all of the incredible talent involved. So it's called Goya's Ghosts. It is out on Blu-ray. Uh, and uh, you know it's worth it's worth a rental, I would say. Uh, but you know, don't expect what you would normally expect from that collection of people. Yeah, yeah. And then um, a matter of life and death, which is one of the all-time great Pal Pressburger films, has oh. a Criterion release. Michael Pal and Emmerich Pressburger. Such a beautiful movie. David Niven. Uh, this was also at one point called Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. I think it was Stairway to Heaven when it was released in the United States. And in the UK, it was a matter of life and death, which is the, the title it goes by now. 
Uh, this was restored a number of years ago. I was, uh, I think it was about, I want to say late 90s that it was restored. And I saw an outdoor screening of that restoration at the, uh, the, the uh, private plane airport in Santa Monica on the tarmac, mm. which was introduced by uh, Quentin Tarantino, oh. who was wearing surgical scrubs. Why? I don't know. Oh. He okay. was just he was wearing scrubs. I just remember that. There was Tarantino on the tarmac wearing scrubs, introducing a movie that was being projected outdoors. Still surrounded by all the aircraft. It was really fun. Uh, if you've never seen this movie, you need to see it. It is absolutely wonderful. It kind of goes in the same class. I mean, it was made in 1946. Uh, a guy named Joe. And guy named Joe. And, and what are some of those other afterlife movies? It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, yeah. And there's, you know, Angels in the Outfield. Yeah, there was yeah. a lot of obsessing on angels and fate and death at the time. And this is one of them, and obviously World War II Making deals with God. A lot of making deals with God. A lot of that stuff. Yeah. But the, what was the original? Uh, uh, um, the original Heaven Can Wait. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, which was the, 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 the film the, that that was a, a remake of. Not, not, the, not the one with Warren Beatty. And, and, and the original, The original yeah. one. And for that matter, Spielberg remade a guy named Joe as always. Yes. With Richard Dreyfus, I think, and yep. then like Holly Hunter and John Goodman, like in and, 80, on, and Audrey Hepburn, and Audrey Hepburn. That's right. Yeah. The last film, I yeah. think that was her last film. It was her last film. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the uh, David Niven plays a, uh, a fighter pilot for the RAF, and uh, long story short, you know, there's there's a whole thing. He winds up going to heaven, and yada yada yada, and it's just a wonderful movie to watch. You got. I'm not going to tell you anything else about it. You just have to see it. Those movies still play, man. They still do. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. It's a wonderful, beautiful, beautiful movie, and it's maybe the best performance David Niven ever gave as far as I'm concerned. Tons of extras on here. Classic Criterion release. If there's one Criterion you've got to own from this year, I'm going to say it's going to be this one. There is, and just by the way, Michael Powell's widow, Thomas Schoonmacher, mm -hmm. editor for Martin Scorsese, yeah. still working, still yeah. cutting stuff. Still cutting. Um, and uh, she gives a new interview here. And there's a whole bunch of other great stuff here, including a 1998 uh, short film starring Jack Cardiff, the DP of this, who was one of the all-time great cinematographers. Just I interviewed great, Jack. This is so great. Just before he passed away. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's some panel at the Los Angeles Film Festival. Oh, that's some, tremendous. Some 10 or 15 years ago. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Wonderful, wonderful. Outstanding. He shot all the greats, Garbo. And oh, he's just, just, just yeah, all those old British, yeah. all those old British guys. Yeah. Um, uh, I have got something called uh, this H.P. Lovecraft adaptation, uh, Dagon. Um, I'm not a big Lovecraft fan. Are you? Uh, no. Yeah, me either. Okay. I kind of I get it. I understand it. I, I you know I know there I know people who are really into it, but that's uh, not my not my cup of tea. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, the, the, this is one of those things. Look, there's all kinds of special features on this. Audio commentaries from just about everybody, but certainly Stuart Gordon. Uh, and, uh, and Ezra Gotten, who plays the lead in the film, Paul Marsh. This is just one of those films with all kinds of people wearing all kinds of crazy outfits and a guy in a mask with a knife and people, yeah, dude, dude <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, it's just my, not my thing. I don't know how, why you need this. Anyway, it's from the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Collector Series, Dagon. If you're into it, go for it, baby. So uh, just a few foreign things to uh, knock out. Uh, we'll wrap the show up after we, uh, we hit a few foreign things. Um, one of the great Russian directors in recent years is Andrei Zvigantsev. Best I'm ever going to do with his name. You know him as the guy who made Leviathan and yeah. Loveless, which are his last two films. are really, really great. And uh, 
you know, very good writer, very good director, very brooding, very Russian. Yeah, um, almost so Russian. He's almost Swedish. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. But he, uh, two of his earlier films now are getting a little bit of uh, attention, and they are both out again from Kino Lorber on Blu-ray, and that would be The Return and The Banishment. Uh, those titles go together. Yeah. And The Banishment sort of is a lot more about what uh, the, the mood of his films. But um, the, uh, the, 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 ban- the, well, the Return was the film that really put him on the map. That was his very, very first film in 2003, and uh, it won the Golden Lion at uh, the, uh, the uh, Venice Film Festival, and very deservedly so. It's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's a story of uh, two brothers and this, I don't want to even compare it to East of Eden because it's not even close to East of Eden, but it's, it's almost more like, what's the, um, oh, why am I forgetting this now? The, Which one? Uh, uh, the uh, Sean, um, uh, oh, Sean. Uh, Indian Runner. Or, no, or, not or, the Indian or, Runner. I'm thinking with uh, with Christopher Walken as the dad, and uh, the sons directed the by James Foley. Uh, oh no, no, not 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 the one where he's what playing. What am I thinking? James Foley film. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it, hold on a second. Oh gosh, why is that title not coming to me? I hate it when this happens. I really uh, do. This is the this is the point where all of our listeners are now screaming at it at the same time. <laughs> They're like, "What's wrong with you?" Uh, you know, normally I got these things. I got right. an excuse. Yeah, I smoke lots and lots and lots of weed. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there's a anyway there's a this is one of those dysfunctional brother family father relationship things, and um, it's uh, it all winds up going on it, it being into this at close at range. close range. So this hits me as very much a kind of an Eastern European hit at, at close range, and everything winds up going into a fishing trip, which is. A, as much as Hemingway has ever written a fi- uh, anything to do with fish as being a <laughs> metaphor, this surpasses it. Uh, the fishing trip is a total metaphor. And uh, it really is a, an incredibly powerful movie. It's very well written, beautifully acted, incredibly eerily photographed. And then he would go on to make The Banishment, which is um, equally as impressive in many respects. It didn't get the same uh, attention for some strange reason. This is the one that kind of fell off the radar a little bit. Uh, but uh, this all deals, again, with a very rough family situation, as something like Loveless also does. Uh, but this time it's a, a nuclear family, a husband and wife, and you can see shades of Loveless sort of echoed all through this. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a great behind-the-scenes featurette on this and in an, uh, in an interview with the director that you really, really have to watch. It's really, really great. So, um, And again, very, very, very symbolic, very metaphorical in all those uh, creepy Russian ways. Let's see. Uh, what we got over here? Uh, let me give you that one. Oh, okay. Pronounce that title. Perfect Obedience. Oh yeah. Uh, this is just a lovely, lovely film. Uh, uh, basically, it's one of those films that's set within the Catholic Church, and uh, pedophilia, sex scandals oh, are going yeah, yeah. on all over the place. This is in the 1960s. Uh, th- this one we spend with a 13-year-old boy uh, uh, who's training in, in, in the seminary, uh, and uh, you know, look. Um, this is a very piercing and powerful movie. It's about a subject that we don't want to talk about a lot. The thing about this movie that's so, it's, it's just so, so, so real. I mean, there's, there's this father, and he's going after this, these kids, and there's a, a scene in the shower, and it just makes you so um, queasy, is, is, is the word. And then and when, you know, when you press forward and we think about this subject today, well, anyway. Uh, it's a very, very good movie. Not a whole lot to offer in terms of special features on it. Uh, it's a tight little film, set in Mexico, uh, lovely, lovely movie about a very difficult subject. Perfect obedience. When do you say no to God's man? 
A uh, film that really made uh, an interesting run at uh, festivals a couple of years ago is Achiambra. Uh, it was probably about a year ago. Achiambra is uh, a, 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 an Italian film from uh, director Jonas. Uh, what's his name? Jonas. Um, Carpignano, Jonas Carpignano, who did Mediterranea. Uh, this was his second film. It's a it's a story of it's basically kind of a coming of age film, but it takes place in southern Italy in this very very um, awkward multi ethnic area. This uh, this is a Romani kid, a gypsy kid who wants to kind of be a flashy crook like his brother, and uh, how he sort of um, you know the the challenges that life encumbers him with trying to do that, trying to uh, deal with the with being part of a uh, an uh, an exile culture, yeah, uh, in a in a strangely awkwardly multicultural part of a, a very very parochial country. Um, it, if you're Italian or if you understand the the, the cultural tenets that are uh, at play in this film, it'll probably be more meaningful. But it's still very very well done, and it's got a documentary and a featurette and deleted scenes, and uh, it was uh, it was at Cannes in 2017 did not get an Oscar nomination this last year as they had ho hoped but uh, mm. nonetheless there it is it's from uh, Sundance Selects well this is a lovely film called Will You Be Mine by a filmmaker named Sophie Lalloy who's just uh, very very good a very very simple little film uh, you know about a fairly object subject this is a um, young girl uh, she leaves home to go study piano uh, and she has to live uh, with a family friend because she doesn't have all that much money and her and the family friend sort of develop a fascination with one another and it sort of drifts off into a little love story. And, and the music is extraordinary. And uh, it's like a single white female kind of thing in, in a certain sort of way, but not quite. It's sort of obvious as all of that. But nevertheless, it's a lovely movie from Film Movement. Again, not a whole lot by way of special features on this, but it's very, very, very classically made. And uh, it won the Golden Zenith at the Montreal Film Festival. Very nice. Uh, another festival favorite is a movie called Blue Desert by Eder Santos. And uh, I, I'm not as uh, enthralled by this as I, I think some people were at the time. This is a Brazilian film. Uh, it's, uh, it, it feels long for all its 94-some minutes, um, but it, uh, it's very meditative, and it's very... Um, oh, it's and not magical realism, but it is... It, it kind of it's like magical realism light in some respects. Uh, it's you know it's it's very dreamlike about a guy looking for existential meaning in life and uh, you know sort of about that the the existential journey that he goes through and the and the whole the whole kind of hook here is that it's based on a Yoko Ono art book called Grapefruit that I'm not familiar with. I'm not into Yoko Ono. Yeah. But apparently that's the inspiration for the film. And if you sort of if you know that going in, then you'll know that it's got a very unconventional sort of anti-linearity going on. But uh, you know, it's it's kinda it's weird and funky and trippy and kind of science fiction-y, kind of fantasy, kind of meditative. Um, I mean, it's got, a, it's got a thing going. Not exactly my thing, but anyway, there it is. That's from Indie Picks. Uh, and from over here, uh, we've got a little thing, a little French film called The Three-Way Wedding. You know, this should be funny. It's actually a drama. I used to love movies like Bob and Car uh, Bob, Dad and Caroline. <laughs> yeah. Remember those movies back in the day? Sure. Uh, and, but this one, this one they, they, they take it all serious. Anyway, you have this guy. He's a playwright. He has this play that he's about the stage. The wife, uh, his ex-wife, or the woman he's about to divorce is uh, the lead in the play. She has a partner. Uh, they all go out into the wilderness so that they could uh, get ready for this play. And the next thing you know, they're all doing it. They're doing it. Yeah. 
they're doing it. Anyway, it doesn't really work out, and it gets kind of dark, and I don't see why. It seems like that should just be fun. Why the hell? You're a bunch of cute French people. Just enjoy it. Uh, but no, they get all pissy about it, so it doesn't work out. Anyway, neat movie. Relatively speaking, if you like the drama side of things, I think they should have kept it funny. Uh, Indivisible by Eduardo De Angelis. This is from Kino Lorber, and uh, it is, uh, it's, this is solid. This is an, another Italian film. Uh, Italian cinema has had a really difficult time lately. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, they lost a lot of big filmmakers back in the 80s, and, and they've really struggled, not gotten a lot of government support. P- co-productions have been hard. The uh, country's economy hasn't been great. So the, Ita- the once great Italian film industry really fell on hard times the last 15 to t- kind of 20 years. And uh, so you have a handful of directors that are making a, a run at it, coming back up. Eduardo De Angelis is one of the more interesting ones. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he goes in the future. Uh, this is all about uh, Dazi and Viola who are conjoined twins, played by actual sisters, Angela and Mariana Fontana. And uh, it's not as, um, I, you know, whenever you hear conjoined twins in a movie, I always think of like Zed and Two Knots, the Peter Graham oh, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you always think they, they play it like freaks. Yeah, they always they like use it as a metaphor for something wrong with the human condition or something political commentary or whatever. And there's a little tiny bit of that here, but uh, it's not as freakish and weird as you would think. And Twin, uh, Twin Falls, Idaho. Yeah, yeah, some of that. And uh, of course, you know, it's the all. It, it kind of treads in some of the obvious stuff, like you know, the the idea of being separated literally and figuratively. And it's the, the metaphor hits you on the head a little bit at sometimes, but it's still an interestingly made film. And the actors, the actresses are very, very good, and the performances are very, very strong. And uh, I have some hope for the future. So, uh, Indivisible by Eduardo De Angelis. Nabil Yaush made this wonderful film called Razia. This is a North African film. She's a, uh, this is a North Af- African director. And this is really a great uh, movie. It's set in Casablanca, Morocco, with these five disparate stories, disparate stories, disparate stories that sort of roam around and roam around and eventually weave themselves together into this one movie, which we've seen done before in many films like Crash and whatnot uh, here in America, but not that much uh, uh, in films from North Africa. And of course, because it's set in North Africa on the streets of Morocco, you just see things you don't usually see. Uh, And it's about this young woman uh, who refuses to participate in some of the traditions and mores of North Africa. Uh, for instance, she wears a tight uh, mini dress. Nice. Uh, then that's a, you know that's going to be a problem. Nevertheless, uh, she pushes back. It's a really really neat film. Nabil Yaouch, uh, just uh, an intricate tale of several stories that come together and work out in a beautiful beautiful way. You'll enjoy this. I wish there were something on this DVD by way of special features, but there is not. And we're going to go out with a movie that we have a giveaway for. We're going to be giving away uh, four copies of Operation Red Sea by Dante Lamb. This is a Blu-ray and a DVD combo set and uh, from Wellgo uh, with deleted scenes and trailers. And let me just tell you, Operation Red Sea, Dante Lamb. If you don't know about Dante Lamb, Dante Lamb is one <laughs> of the most unrelenting action directors from Hong Kong who would of course make the make the move over to uh, Chinese filmmaking now that everything is has moved away from Hong Kong um, this is a brand new film it's just it's it's 140 minutes long and it feels like it's about 25 minutes long because all it is is just action it's a commando movie look a bunch of terrorists yeah. that it's it's this simple it's and it's probably not much different from the new Mission Impossible to be honest uh, some terrorists got an atomic or, or trying to get some uh, nuclear material to blow up the world, and uh, these uh, Chinese commandos have to go and stop them. 
So China is trying to basically make patriotic movies now that they've learned from yeah. American patriotic movies. All you need to do is put a bunch of soldiers together and go Rambo on them. Yeah, yeah. So this is like a Chinese Rambo team movie, and it's just Chinese commandos and guns and explosions and tanks and airplanes and stopping terrorists and everything blowing up, and it might as well be an American movie. It's just a different nationality. Yeah. That's all it is. My favorite Dante film is uh, Vampire Effect. <laughs> it's that's, just that's, that's a wicked movie. It's he he made he makes fun movies. So yeah. Operation Red Sea is a whole lot of fun. So just go ahead and send us an email to gods at digigods.com or uh, gods at cinegods.com with your uh, name and address in the body of the email and put red in the uh, in the subject line just R E D red and it'll get to us and uh, we'll pick four winners as long as you get it to us by Monday August sixth. Uh, Monday, August 6th. We're going to give it two weeks because we don't have a show this next week. So Monday, August 6th. We'll give it two weeks and we will see you then. Thank you.